Hello and welcome to the Under the Gaslit Lamp podcast. I'm Regan and I'm joined by Mark today. Hello everybody, uh, Mark Jarebi. You can find me at Twitter on at VillamarkPGH. I hope everybody's well. Yep, so uh, first things first, we're in the finals for the Football Blogging Awards. Um, we we made the finals last year, so we've made the finals for the same category two years in a row. Um, but mainly, it's come as a bit of a shock to us because we, we weren't as heavily promoting the... Uh, you know the, the nomination process, so we're we're quite happy with that. If you would like to vote for us in the finals, uh, details will be posted on our Twitter, on our website, and uh, various other places. So just go looking, and I'm sure you'll find it. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I really I, there's a lot of stiff competition, not only locally with other you know really amazing Villa content creators, but you know just just to even be in the finals is a is a really big honor. But uh, I kind of want to win it this year. How about you? You want to win it this year? I think it'd be nice, but I think the uh, the competition we've got in in our category alone is is uh, pretty heavy. We've got some some big blogs for some big teams. Uh, I know there's a, a Man City a Man City blog in there, and we've also got our uh, our friend Villa on tour in the same category. Yeah, we got Villa on tour in the category. Uh, he's doing that. I think he's on uh, two other ones as well. I'm hoping the best. Uh, hey, as long as Villa walks away with something out of this year, I'll be uh, I'll be pretty happy. We I really do believe that uh, Villa has a, a wealth of uh, community content creators. So got got to come home with a win. Somebody's got to win it this year. Yeah, it's certainly thriving. Right, let's get into the uh, let's get into the latest at Villa. We uh, we played Blackburn on the weekend, and it was our fifth win in a row which uh, leaves us sitting inside the playoffs in the sixth position. How does that make you feel, Mark? Uh, I'm ecstatic. A uh, little, little nervous. Uh, you know, with a, I think of, what, seven seven games left to go, I believe it is now? Yeah, it's a little, a little nervy, um, but it's it's that excitement. It's that real excitement that kind of had last year going into into this time of the year. Uh, team's playing well. It's it's hard to, uh, to dissect the team down and say who had a bad performance. Everyone's playing so well right now with five on the spin. Tyron Mings is looking like an absolute monster. Uh, Jack Grealish did pretty well against Blackburn. He logged uh, five key passes throughout the match. Uh, you know, with Gareth Southgate in attendance, everyone thought he might, you know, rise up to the occasion. He didn't have the, the greatest match in terms of what we've seen from Jack since returning from injury. He uh, believe he finished with a 7.26 match rating, which is definitely respectable, but it's it's not the same the same vein we've seen from him in the past couple matches. But um, yeah, just just a really really good performance all around from Villa. Yeah, I think Jack looked a little laboured, to be honest, and I think uh, I think it came out that he was suffering with a dead leg after the uh, Middlesbrough game. Um, so obviously he was subbed off before the ninety was over. Um, but you know, I, I think he probably could have done better to stake his claim for an England call up with uh, Southgate watching. But other than that, I think he had a relatively good game, but albeit maybe quiet for his levels. Yeah, I think he he did a, a little bit. He was pushing the Blackburn defense in midfield back. I noticed that they actually changed the way they would set up in the uh, in their defense, just as far as like pushing up and down the pitch. They actually switched it about six or seven times. I rewatched the game, um, and it was due to Jack because he, he kept you know finding space out wide. He would hold the ball up out wide, and then he would find a way to get it back in the middle. And he, he kept his legs moving and got himself back in the middle to receive a ball. So he was definitely running them around the pitch a little bit. Uh, but yeah, everyone had a fantastic game against Blackburn. There was no one on the pitch you could say didn't didn't have a good game. Yeah, I mean like. I think that there's there's some someone uh, somewhere on the pitch that you know you, you can mention in defence, you can mention in in the attacking players that had a great game, 
Um, you've got Tammy Abraham netting his 22nd goal in 33 games for Villa very early on into the game. And he, he probably could have had one or two more. He probably could have bagged a hat-trick, but he just wasn't clinical enough against Blackburn. Yeah, I feel he could have done a little bit more. And that, that's the big thing right now. You're seeing a small smattering of Villa supporters on social media talk about uh, maybe Tammy's a little bit overrated. I don't know how he can be overrated with 22 goals and 33. Um, I, don't, I don't know any striker that, that's going to have a 100% shot rating throughout the course of a season. You're going to miss him. I mean, it's just the way it goes. Sometimes you're going to miss him. They're going to look easy. But, you know, ha- half that battle's you know, just getting in the position. And it's, it's, that's not something that's really easily taught. That's more of an instinctual thing. Um, I think Tammy's just fine, but that's, that's pretty impressive. Twenty-two goals in thirty-three games. I, you know, it's but he, he's getting a little bit of stick about not being so clinical. But I, I just don't see it. I think it's one of those cases. If you hand a person a million dollars, they're going to be they're going to ask you why you didn't give them two. Yeah, I mean, if you put it into perspective, um, and you know, if that was a player on Football Manager at his age scoring twenty-two goals in thirty-three games, that's the kind of player you're you're shipping out thirty, forty, fifty million for. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, for, for his age and everything, I, I don't think there's really much to complain about. Of, you know, everyone that I've talked to and, you know, my little small circle of Villa fans across the pond, you know, we've we've talked about it. And, you know, my, my one friend Danny actually says all the time that he thinks Abraham's a little overrated. And I, my counterpoint to that's like, well, where do you think we sit on the table without him? And then there's really no counter argument to that. So I don't think he's overrated. I, I think that he's just, you know, he's still so young. I mean, he's his finishing still really, really good, especially for championship level. Yeah, it's hard to agree with that. Um, another another towering player uh, that, that received plaudits after the game is Tyrone Mings. Uh, he added to the scoring with, with a pretty good header, a uh, second goal in Villa Colours. Um, and you know, after that, it kind of the game kind of turned on its head a little bit. You know, um, I feel like perhaps that the, the the squad felt that they were a bit too comfortable, um, and it, it let Blackburn get it back into the game a little bit. And obviously, they ended up scoring after uh, Jed Steers, uh, in inverted commas, mistake. So, it, it, I think, I think you know what we've seen from from Villa in the last six or seven games has been nothing short of impressive. But, you know, there are things that they need to be working on. And uh, Tyrone Mings has come out and, and said that in, in the press. is basically saying, you know, they played the best half of football that they've probably played together uh, against Blackburn. But at the same time, there, there were issues that needed to be addressed. Yeah, it was, it was just a little bit of a slip-up. I mean, you were talking about the Mings goal. You know, that happens, I think it's the 61st minute. Uh, he, he heads that in. It was a great header. It really was. But after that, it just seemed like Villa lost a little bit of concentration a little bit, and, and that led to the uh, Amari Bell goal in the 74th minute. And then for that, you know, 16 minutes and then waiting to see what the added time was going to be, it, it was really nervy in Villa Park. You know, you can even, even tell just by watching it you know, away from the actual park itself. Like, it was, it was just really nervous. Uh, you know, it, they played good defense. Villa played good defense, and they got back. And But there were some there were some times where it, it did not look like we were going to come out of that match with three points. And I'm sure Dean Smith, you know, you know, wrangled all the all the lads back in at, at full time when they get back in the room and said, hey, you know, might have got away with one there. You know, we got to start looking at some of the finer details trying to close out a match. But it was a very good defensive effort, but I just don't think the way that we were in the first half, we should ever let it get to that point of feeling like you're about to lose, you know, lose lose the match. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, but, you know, like when, when we were on the back foot, there were certain players that, you know, really showed their, their ability and how much they were willing to graft for the shirt. Uh, obviously, we've been speaking about Tyra Mings. He's one of them. But the likes of John McGinn and uh, even Neil Taylor at times helped solidify that result. 
Uh, you only have to look at the, the clip from McGinn uh, getting the ball towards the halfway line and running uh, into the complete opposite corner that uh, many commentators were telling him to run into and actually winning a corner. Yeah, that uh, that flank to flank run he made the kill off a few seconds there at the end. Uh, that's that's just that's John McGinn. There, there's there's nothing you can really say. Uh, that's that's what Villa supporters want to see from him. That's what he's capable of. I'm sure he he wasn't, you know, wasn't full of energy at that time. So to have the graft, have the energy to do something like that to make sure your team, you know, gets a result over the line is, is massive. Uh, he he's he's just getting better. I, th- I think he finished that match with an 8.1 match rating, and that's that's just. You know he he's in, in such great form right now. It, it's it's hard to see him slowing down over the next seven games. Yeah, and I th- I think like you know he he's he's not only that kind of workhorse in the middle. He he has such a, an ability to him. Like some of the balls he's playing, the ball that he played into uh, Amor Al Ghazi, who who controlled it incredibly well with his uh, with his shoulder um, to lay it off to Tammy Abraham for the the Villa first Villa goal. Um, but like. He's not the only one that's attempting these kind of passes. We had uh, 47 long ball forward attempts in, in the match and we had 21 crosses go in. If you put that into perspective, that's that's 68, um, 68 attempts that we, we could be getting towards their, their, their opposition box. Um, so, you know, like at least at least 10% of those are going to come off and you're going to get a shot on target. Yeah, it's been a gripe of, of Villa fans for a few years now. I mean, they can't even go all the way back to when Ashley Westwood was here about backwards passes, and, and you hear that being brought up a lot. You know, sometimes when Villa might, might have a you know less than stellar game, they talk about, oh well, the midfielders are just pack, passing backwards, or this player is only passing backwards. But you know, when you make forty-seven long balls forward, that's not even backwards. That's not across the field. That's forward forty-seven times, and then twenty-one crosses once you actually get it in the final third. That's magnificent. That's exactly what Villa needs to do. It's probably exactly what Dean Smith wants them to do. I, I, I long, long may it last because it, it's it's one of those things. I, I really think that's where we're going to be the uh, the most dangerous, is especially crosses from wide positions into the uh, into the danger areas. I just want to uh, go over McGinn a bit more. Um, obviously, he had a great game against Blackburn, but he he's been great for the entire month of March. Um, According to who scored, he he notched a match average rating of eighty four, uh, eighty four, eight point four, throughout the month. Yeah, and that's that's. I think that's just a testament to how well he's doing. Um, AVFC official had a uh, an interview with him after the Blackburn game where he he claims that he feels like he's in the best form of his career. Um, I did a little research on that just to see if it actually was, and uh, the eight point four match rating throughout a month is the best average match rating he's ever had, according to who scored. Um, that I think that speaks volumes about about what how much he means to the team right now. A lot, a lot can be said about you know Glenn Whelan, Connor Horahane, other midfielders. You know what they bring to the team, but I, I think McGinn he he had that little break with the the yellow card suspension, and he is just all systems go. I I haven't seen a midfielder play like this for Villa in a very very long time, if if ever in, in my time of watching. Do you think it's something to do with uh, Dean Smith's tactics or? You know the, the you know the fact that he's playing for such a big club, or, or is it a mixture of multiple things that's causing him to be playing like in the form of his life? He um he had uh, a bad a bad game for uh, Scotland during the international break, and uh, Scottish fans were lambasting him. A lot of Celtic fans were saying, "Oh, I'm glad we didn't sign him." But as soon as he's off the international break, he's back and performing you know wonderful stuff for Aston Villa. 
I think it's one of those rare cases where his international call-up, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not honored by that. It doesn't mean a great deal to him. I'm sure it does. But I think he knows that, that the mindset has to be 100% AVFC right now. I, I think he knows that. I think it is a mixture of him coming to a, a bigger club, um, implying his trade. Uh, it's, a, it's a bigger crowd. It's a bigger league. I think there's a lot that goes into it. He seems to really be enjoying his football. Uh, just the smiles, the camaraderie, some of the, you know, um, AVFC official stuff they've put out as far as, you know, a little bit more lighthearted, you know, laughing kind of things. He, he seems like he's just genuinely and generally happy. Uh, that's, you can't, you can't fake that. I, some people say, oh, he has to be, he has the spotlight on him. I don't think he has to be. You know, we've seen other players in, in recent memory that, you know, they do those kind of things with AVFC official, and they're, it seems like they're just going through the motions. They don't actually want to be there. I think with McGinn, he definitely wants to be here, and he definitely wants to help this club get back to the Premier League. I just think that it's one of those things where he's in he's in a, a very, very bright patch of his career, and he, he understands that. So I don't think he's taking it for granted. I, I think it's that this is the John McGinn that, you know, Every, everybody said that, you know, we would get coming from Hibs in the Scottish League and everything. But, you know, he, he's proving that. He's proving that he's actually able to be a very, very, you know, comparable midfielder, you know, not even for the championships. You know, you hear it all the time about maybe he gets snapped up from a Premier League team. But I think he's he's definitely sticks at Villa for, for a decent amount of time. I think it's, it's not just about his football, though. I think he seems like, a, a you know, a great personality. He, he reminds me very much of uh, Robert Snodgrass of last season. Obviously, there's the Scottish connection there. Um, but the club, doing their, you know, their general little marketing bits, um, do the unclassic commentary. Um, last season, the, the main host of that was Robert Snodgrass. And this season, it's McGinn. Um, and in the ones that we've seen, uh, I think he's done one with... With Tammy, he's done one with Andre Green, and he's done one with Anwar El Ghazi, and um, in each one he gives each of them like a little gentle ribbon. Um, you know, he he calls Andre Green the most romantic guy at the club, and you know, you know, it, it's a bit of banter, <laughs> but um, it's it's that kind of thing. You know, it, I feel like you know he could walk into the dressing room and say like, you know, I don't know, rip into Jack Grealish. Obviously, he's he's the biggest guy at the club, not not. Physically, but you know what I mean. Like he's he's the the club icon, right? Yeah, and yeah. um, he can he can he can rib into him, and like you know that no one's going to turn around and be like, you know, you've been here like eight nine months, like what the hell are you doing? Oh, totally. Not only that, like there's there's a psychology behind personalities in any type of sporting room. Uh, it do, it doesn't really get talked about a lot. Most people might find it really boring, but you kind of need that kind of jokester, lighthearted you know, person, you need that personality. You need these big, big personalities in a room to, to make things happen. Um, there, there's multiple studies about it to where you might have a couple, you know, for a team setup, you might have a couple people that are very serious guys, some that may not seem like they're there all the time, like their heart's not all the way in it. Then you have the jokesters. Then you have the guys that, you know, lay out everything they possibly can for, you know, whichever club, you know, the sport's in. And I think, you know, you made a great comparison about Robert Snodgrass, and maybe that's what it is. It's just that little bit of Scottish romanticism you know, you just need in a room to just, you know, give guys a little, you know, a little ribbing or, you know, give, give them just a, hey, let's go here, you know. And, and you've seen him again. He can be very vocal on the pitch. I can only imagine what he's like in the room. You know, I, I don't I don't look at John McGinn and think that if, if Villa should happen to go into a game 2-0 at halftime, he's not going to sit there with a towel over his head looking at the floor. I just I just don't think he's that kind of guy. I think I, I definitely think Aston Villa need John McGinn exactly when they got John McGinn. You mentioned the uh, the whole jokester psychology within within sports teams. 
Do you think that uh, says something about why Mark Bunn's still at the club? I think it'd be quite easily, quite easy to just end his contract once we'd signed Kalinic. You know, he's probably the fifth choice keeper now. But in every every uh, bit of content that Villa released, they always ask, "Who's the funniest person in the dressing room?" And every player says Mark Bunn. Yeah, and you know, it's it, most diehard old world football fans will will never believe this, but that can justify a salary. You know, they you know a lot of people say, "Why do we still have Mark Bunn at the club? He, he's just wasting a wage." You, you don't know what this man's doing behind the scenes. Is he going to get a game game time before his contract expires? Probably not. But just to have that kind of person in the room that has that kind of lighthearted spirit, pick somebody up. You know, Mark Mark Bunn's a little older. He can help out some of the younger goalkeepers we have, and I'm sure he can help out some of the other players with maybe some personal issues they're having of being a footballer. You know, there's still these people are still human at the end of the day. You know, they need somebody around like that. And yeah, if if Mark Bunn is is that kind of person and he does seem to have that kind of personality, I'm I'm all for it. And like I said. It's just the psychology of sports teams. You need multiple personalities. You you can't have a bunch of robots in a room. It, it'll it, you'll never win anything with that kind of kind of mentality. Yeah, I, I know Mark Bunn runs his own uh, football co- uh, goalkeeping academy, um, obviously for younger kids. But he, you know, he's not playing. He's going to be training, so he's he's probably helping out the likes of uh, Sarkic, uh, maybe even Steer with their training. Yeah, and even even minor things like just taking them, you know, taking them by the the shoulder and just saying, "Hey, you know, I I've noticed you do this in certain situations. Did you ever think about it this way?" Or, "Hey, do you want to go out and grab dinner tonight?" Or, "Hey, you know, it's it comes down to a personal level with with a lot of the things." And you know, guys like Mark Bunn and, and John McGinn and formerly Robert Snodgrass, it seems like they have that in their locker of just being humans, of just being people. That that's just how they genuinely are, and that's that's something you you definitely need at a football club, especially if you're trying to succeed, and especially if you. Have have ambitions to get to the highest level you know that you can go you're definitely going to need those kind of people around um i just want to before we go on to a preview in the sheffield wednesday game this weekend i want to mention one more player that's had a a great impact uh, over the last six seven games and that's uh armad el mohammed he's a uh, he's played every single minute since alan hutton went off injured uh, in the early phases of the stoke game um february 23rd i think it was um, and you know, there's a reason why he's been labelled Mister Consistent by the club. Yeah, he's been very, very good. I, I think it hurt Villa supporters a little bit. I think it was a shot to the pride whenever uh, Alan Hutton goes down with an injury. I think a lot of people were looking for him to be the guy, whether you know, however it would have played out, him playing left back or right back. Uh, I think they were looking to, for him for his passion and how much he cared about the club. But he hasn't had a bad, bad run. I mean, Alan Hutton leaves. Like you said, uh, early in the in the Stoke fixture, I think it was only the seventh or eighth minute where Alan Hutton has to go off. And uh, that game, El Mohamedi was playing on the right wing. They brought him back in the right back position they put on um, Albert Adoma, I believe. And he played really well, even though it was a draw against Stoke. They played really well. And it seemed like that kind of performance against Stoke kicked off this five-game run that we're on now. You know, he, he may not have, you know, his, his best game in, in terms of average rating, but it's just all the the Mr. Consistency tag is definitely, you know, appropriate, no matter which way you think about it. Uh, you know, Elmo's, he may not be able to run as well as he could have in years past. He might not be able to cross a ball like he could in years past, but he's bringing the three things that you definitely want, especially this time of the year, you know, a little bit of stability, massive amounts of experience, and he seems like he really does have a will to succeed on the pitch and, and, and Long may it last through the next seven games and into the playoffs. I, I don't I don't think that anyone's going to come in and take his shirt. Yeah, and a lot of people forget he's a fully fledged international. Um, he didn't play in the latest international break because the Egyptian national team decided to rest some of their bigger players like uh, Mohamed Salah, uh, Al Mohamedi. Um, 
because they know that because obviously it's the African Cup of Nations uh, in the in the summer this year, but they know that the likes of these players are probably going to be more in form by having a rest during the international break and going into the run-in, especially with the likes of Liverpool and Villa, who have got like six, seven, eight massive games ahead of them. Um, it, it, obviously, it's more for Liverpool with the uh, the Champions League, but um, you know it, that. International setups, especially like Egypt, are going to be thinking El Mohamed is probably not going to lose this right back position, and he he's he's in the most consistent form he's had this season. Um, he had a period of games where he was making a, a fair few mistakes, and he gave away a penalty. Um, he just looked quite bereft of confidence, and now he's back into the team. He's probably playing some of the best football he's played in an Aston Villa shirt. Yeah, I can agree with that. And he, he's not always the easiest to support. And I think that does come with his age and maybe losing a little bit of pace. But he, he's doing these little overlap, underlap plays. I talked about it in previous podcasts, but he's really succeeding at that. And it's it's over like three or four games now with him in the side, with El Mohamedy in the side, to where it's really looking like it's a, a really successful tactic on the right-hand side of the pitch. Um, but yeah, the, the supporters are starting to come around. They're starting to realize how impressive he is and, you know, by no means is he a world beater, you know, right back. He's he's not gonna, you know, do anything surprising. He's he's you know, but he does his job. He does it well. He, uh, the minor details are definitely there. He, he's been around long enough to know where he has to be and whatnot. And sure, I, I'm sure he will be prone to, to mistakes even moving forward. But the stability and, and the experience right now that's it's exactly what Villa needs. And I know everyone wanted to see Alan Hutton on that right-hand side to finish out, you know, his contract. But I, I think Elmo's got to be the guy going forward unless something absolutely cataclysmic happens. But I, I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I, I can't see our defence changing uh, for the remaining games unless something horrific happens, like we get uh, bodied 3-4-0 or, you know, someone's injured. I think uh, Axel Twanzebe has just come back from injury and I, I don't think he's going to actually probably play again for, for Villa unless he comes back next season. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he does either. Um, there was, you know, you, you have these really strange articles that pop up on social media over the international break and the, you know, the one about Axel Twanzebe, I think it might have been the mail. I think it might have been, yeah, I think it was the mail and said that uh, Aston Villa was trying to secure As- Axel uh, Twanzebe for another season next year. And it's just everything's so up in the air because you don't know what United's going to do in the summer. It was almost like journalism writing for the sake of journalism. So I, I don't know if we're actually going to get him back. It would be great. I wouldn't say no. He's definitely a talent. He's only going to get better as he ages and gets more game time. But, you know, with that injury he had this year, he didn't get much meaningful game time. And if he did, I think he was trout on the right back a couple a couple times when we were going through the defensive crisis with injuries. So, you know, if you if you really needed him and, you know, Dean Smith is sold on it, I, I see no reason. But I don't I don't see Tuan Zebe walking in and taking Elmo's spot or even either of our center backs right now. M- Mings and Horace look absolutely amazing. And I don't I don't think that you I, I, I just don't think you it's one of those cases you don't try to fix it unless it's broken. It's definitely not broken. Yeah, I mean, you know, we might see the likes of uh, Twanze, but maybe even Chester in the later reaches if he's fit, um, maybe come on as a sub. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I fully agree. It's it's going to be a case of don't fix it until it's broken. Yeah, I, it's, I also think that everyone, it, 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 well, not everyone, but there's, I think there's a large majority of the supporters that really have it drilled into their mind that we're going to be able to keep all of these loans that we have in the team. And it's just not realistic to think that. I, I don't think we ever get 
Tammy Abraham or Tuan Zebe. And even in some respects, I don't even think we get Mings with how well he's playing right now. Stranger things have happened. We don't know what league we're going to be in. We don't know what the, the money situation is going to be like in the summer for Aston Villa. But you, you can't keep everybody. And it's, 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 hard, it's hard to try and drill that through some people's heads of like, no, this isn't Aston Villa of 2004 throwing around money like crazy or, you know, around the time where we, we did have money to spend. Like, you have to be a little frugal in these kind of situations and, you know, enjoy these, these some of these up-and-coming promising loan players while they're still Aston Villa players. But, you know, with, with Tuan Zabi, I'd love to have him back next year, but it all depends on the league. It depends what Manchester United does. I'm, I'm sure, you know, Ole, you know, he's it's the big thing right now. He's at the wheel, but, you know, he's still getting beat by Wolves. So you don't really, you don't really know what that back four is going to be doing next year. I think something you have to kind of consider as well is, yes, uh, Tuan Zabi is a big talent, but you, you've also got to consider how much of uh, his, his time at Villa he spent out injured. Um, he, he joined, was it last January? Uh, yeah, played, had, a, had a run of games, uh, missed the rest of the season through injury. Um, and then obviously came back in this summer and it was it was all kind of, yeah, he's still got something to prove here with it with the marketing um, and all the interviews that were done. And then he's missed a massive chunk of the season again through injury. Um, obviously, obviously it, it, you can't blame the player because... It's it's not his fault that he's getting injured. Obviously, unless he's you know relatively unfit and he's he's uh, overstraining himself. But I, d- I don't think that's the case. But um, you know, would would we want to play uh, pay a loan fee for Twanzebe? Yeah, he's a good a good player. But what if he misses half the season again through injury? Yeah, and I don't know. Could it be one of those rare cases where he goes back to United this summer and you know he he goes to whoever he has to go to and says, listen, I if you don't have any plans for me here I have again unfinished business at Villa you know and they they might let him go you know they might they might they might let him come back on loan I I, I don't I think that would be big of him he gained a lot of respect for me for that but you're right he's been injured for most of his you know at time at Aston Villa albeit on loan but we I mean we can't we can't do the thing we did with Yannick Bellassi to where we're basically just an operating football hospital and we're just you know here for rehabilitation purposes you know we can't allow ourselves to be that kind of club and, and I, that's not so much in the case of Tuan Zebe, but you know he's if if he's just constantly having injury problems we, we can't be paying a you know a somewhat outrageous loan fee you know to pay, pay his wages while he's here it's just what makes sense for the club financially and with the new owners that's exactly what they're trying to do is get the club on you know stable ground to move forward financially okay let's move on and uh preview the sheffield wednesday game this weekend um it's the big one it's it's probably one of the biggest games that we've got coming up uh probably just below the likes of bristol city which is obviously a massive six-pointer um, but it's it's the return of Steve Bruce, uh, his first game at the helm of Sheffield Wednesday, um, managing against Aston Villa. Yeah, it's a uh, lot. A lot of fans are very very excited about this for the uh, Steve, you know, Steve Bruce going up against them with uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Um, I don't know if that's what many people should be focusing their attentions on is Steve Bruce. I think we should should be past that by now. You know, the team plays different. We line up different, using a little bit different players than, than he would have liked with his time at Villa. Um, you know, people, people aren't talking about the fact that Sheffield Wednesday, had, had they haven't lost a game since January 27th, and that was 3-0 in an FA Cup game to Chelsea. You know, they're on a very long unbeaten run. You know, they're having draws against some of the more middle-of-the-road teams in the championship, but this isn't a gimme game for Villa. Like, you know, Wednesday's in very, very good form. Yeah, I mean, 
they, they've got some key players that you you've got to uh, you've got to keep an eye out for, and it, it's usually the same ones that always come back to haunt us. Um, Adam Reach has probably scored two, maybe three uh, outstanding goals against us, and he always seems to find the net against us anyway, even if it's not a wonder goal. Um, but then you've got the likes of Stephen Fletcher, who's their top scorer with ten goals, and uh, former villain Barry Bannon. Yeah, Barry Bannon always seems to just... I, I, he doesn't even have to start the game. He can come on in the 81st minute of a game, and for whatever reason, if it's against Villa, he's going to perform well. Um, you know, the Adam Reach, you're right. He, I think he scored three against us, if I'm, if I'm remembering it correctly. And he, he, it's terrifying. It's to the point now that anytime I hear you know Sheffield Wednesday, I actually think of Adam Reach. He's, he's a very comparable footballer coming off the right-hand side. Uh, it's probably a benefit to Villa. He... He, he's had eight goals this season, but he hasn't been informed for almost a month. You look on, on some of his form, I think he's had one assist in the past month. Um, let's let's hope that continues coming up on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's out of form, but uh, you've also, also got to have a look at the amount of uh, goals he scored this season. He scored eight goals, which uh, I believe is one more than Conor Horahan, maybe two. Um, so, you know, he's basically our version of Horahan. Um, and you've got to remember when Steve Bruce managed Aston Villa, you know he didn't necessarily utilize uh, Horahan very well, but he still popped up with those those goals that were were so important. Um, you know, I think maybe he's probably not adjusted to the way that Steve Bruce plays very well, but he he could still rock up with with an absolute uh, worldie like he usually does. Yeah, I'm hoping it's not one of those things where it. it I, I I actually I, I'm not upset if Villa lose the game against Wednesday. I'd be upset about Steve Bruce finding a way to get that team to score, to get Sheffield Wednesday to score a goal in the very, very opening stages and then just park the bus and grind it out and we lose the game 1-0. I, I would just be so unhappy about it, only for the fact of how many times have we watched him do that when he was the head coach at Villa. And if, if we get, if we get a, a, a big dose of Steve Bruce medicine, it's just – it's. It's not going to feel great. I, I wouldn't be happy about it. But, you know, these, these are two teams that are in form, and you really don't know what's going to happen. I just think that Villa might edge them, edge them out on the fact that just having the offensive prowess, you know, I, I don't think that Wednesday they're, – they, they're able to defend. They defend very well. But I don't, I don't think that they're prepared for Villa knowing what's at stake and knowing where they've come in the past six, seven weeks. I, I just think that, you know, it, it's going to be a tough game regardless. I just, I just have a feeling in my gut that, that Villa's going to edge them out. Well, it's it's another six pointer, isn't it? They're only uh, four points behind us. Uh, I believe I believe they're sat in eleventh. Uh, is it? Yeah, they're sat in eleventh, four points behind us. Um, so obviously that shows how big the drop is if we if we do drop points. Um, but it's it's being plugged as this this huge game, and I really can see it being a, a boring game. I think it's going to be nil nil, maybe maybe a score draw, one all, maybe. Yeah, I think the, the just the prospect, I think Villa supporters are actually building it up more than Wednesday supporters are, and they just, you know, is, is Steve Bruce going to get booed by the, the traveling Villa fans? Is he going to get, you know, clapped as, as he walks and takes his takes his place at the dugout and on the, on the touchline? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know what to expect. You know, I'm sure no one's going to be rolling a cabbage toward him, so I'm sure he's happy about that. <laughs> I, think he'll, I think he'll get a round of applause from the Villa faithful. Um, but I think they they will be very vocal in uh, letting him know that we are Dean Smith's Claret Blue Army. Yeah, I think I think you're going to hear that chant more than you have minus maybe the Blues game. Uh, yeah, I, 
the traveling support from Villa is wonderful. Everybody knows it. It's not a secret. It's you know up and down the country. They're, they we travel well. You know we sing loud. We sing proud. So I, I think they're definitely going to let Steve Bruce know what they think about him. I'm just I'm I'm not sure it's going to matter at the end of the day. Like you said, it, it could be just a boring, you know, nil nil or a one one. But I I don't I just it, it, it's a big game as as far as Villa goes because obviously we need to keep picking up points. We need to start you know need to keep getting results. But I, I just don't want it to be one of those things that if Steve Bruce finds a way to grind out a one nil, you know, win against us, that all of a sudden the sky's falling down again, and and Villa fans start to lo- lose their heads and they're acting as if someone has have you know done something terrible. It's you know it'll be one game, it'll be fine. But I, yeah, I don't think you're going to see like a five nil or a three two game. It's either going to be really boring or it's going to be one of those things where Villa just you know throw two in and try to do what they did against Blackburn in the second half. Yeah. Um, moving forward from boring games, uh, the ladies certainly didn't have a boring game against Millwall uh, last weekend. They uh, defeated the Millwall Lionesses 3-1 and extended their unbeaten league run to an impressive six matches. Yeah, Jodie Hutton. Oh, she's my favourite. I love watching her play. She's got she's got so much heart. You can tell when she's on the ball. Uh, made a bit of a statement with a goal in the fifth minute against uh, the Lionesses. Uh, Sutton's 10th of the season, I believe. It, it, it just means so much to her. She scores the goal and then, you know, goes over to her over to her dad there on, on the sideline for, for a really warm moment. It's just really, really great to see that kind of thing, especially, you know, she's one of our own, you know, and at, at 18 years old. I think it really just shows what kind of player she is. Uh, Tanisha Smith also put a or uh, Tanisha just put Villa back on top after an own goal that tied the match at one all. It was a pretty entertaining game to watch. Uh, many, I actually saw it. I've been noticing over the past couple of weeks that more and more people are starting to actually support the Aston Villa ladies. It's it's really a breath of fresh air to see. I really enjoy that. I think more people need to get into the game. Yeah, and I think that's in, in no short part down to the likes of us, um, 7500 to halt. Uh, even the Villa viewer now starting to mention uh, the ladies' games in in their content. So you know, the, the more that we, as as you know, uh, vocal members of the community, talk about them, the the, the bigger they're going to get. Um, and obviously, when the te- the day comes that they are uh, actually a professional side, I think you know that that can only help the uh, the levels of support that they receive. Yeah, I totally agree, and, and they're an entertaining side to watch. It, it's uh... It's just that that's still that little risque thing that happens in football to where you have these these macho men. Oh, why would I go watch the ladies? And they don't realize that you know I would I'd I'd watch the ladies against Rotherham. You know I would watch that. I would I would I'm, honestly it's not it's not a dig. It's it's not no disrespect to either either team. I would watch that, and I, I would be very curious to see how it how it wound up. They're they're an entertaining side, you know, and I think it's one of those things where you're right is is much as the content community of Aston Villa keeps talking about it, I think it will be something that gets more and more popular. And, you know, it, I, I think the team needs to move professional, but I think that's something that happens in the next couple of seasons. Yeah. Um, just moving back to the uh, Jody Hutton goal, um, I think it was it was quite a fitting goal for her. Um, a lot of people are aware that she, she lost her mum last year and uh, she, she scored that goal on Mother's Day in the UK for... Uh, for anyone that uh, is a overseas fan, it was Mother's Day on Sunday, and she dedicated that goal to her mother. Um, and she's dedicated a lot of the goals this season to her mother, actually. But it, it's it's you know it's very heartwarming to see that you know her mother means so much to her, and um, it's it's almost coming out on the pitch. You know, she's she's turning that away from, you know, she she I guess she's channeling it into into great performances, is what I'm trying to say. 
Yeah, and that's what sports all about. You know, you put everything, all the hardship you're having in your personal life, you put it on your field of play. Uh, sometimes it comes off well. Other times it'll get you in trouble. I think in the in the case of Jody Hutton with uh, with her losing her mom and you know she seems to have a great support system around her, uh, being family and teammates and maybe some other people within inside the club. She's always smiling. You see all the all the stuff that I have her doing interviews or post match stuff or pre match, uh, you know, little things. And she always just seems like she's still smiling. I I couldn't imagine you know losing my mother at, at the age of eighteen. I, I don't I don't know what that feels like. I could never pretend to. Uh, she seems to be handling it very well. Obviously, we can only take that at face value. But uh, I think uh, a goal that, like, she scored against Millwall, I mean, she blasted that ball in the back of the net. You know, she, that, that meant something. That wasn't just a ordinary goal. Okay, you know, clap it up, you know, get back and, and kick off the ball. Like, that, you can tell that meant something to her. It wasn't even just her running over to her dad. It, the look on her face, it just, it, it, it said all you needed to. It, it was definitely a big moment for, uh, for Jody. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm fully aware she's getting uh, a lot of support from from the club and her teammates, uh, from what I've been told. So it's it's nice to see that everyone's kind of gathering around her, and obviously we're seeing it, uh, pay off on the pitch. But um, moving on to Tanisha Smith, um, club captain Kerry Welsh has been suspended for for the last couple of games, um, and. You know, Tanisha Smith, at 17 years old, is really giving Gemma Davies a thing, uh, thing or two to think about with her selection. Yeah, the thing with Tanisha is that she holds up the ball well, and that, that allows some of the more uh, able able people or able players rather to be able to get up the pitch that, that you can like pass it off to them. I think Jody Hutton works really could work really well with her. Um, you know, it's it's not even saying that Carrie Welsh doesn't walk right back into this team when, when her suspension's over. I'm sure she will. But I, I think Tanisha, you know, with her being 17, she definitely has a little bit, you know, to work up to. Uh, Carrie Welsh is a fantastic player. We all know that. If you even slightly follow the women, you, you know that, you know, she, she's very, very good for the Aston Villa ladies. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where Gemma Davies is starting to see that she has, you know, two younger um, players in in Hutton and, and now Tanisha Smith that where she'll be able to kind of I guess maybe nurture them and be able to see their progression moving forward maybe maybe you know next season or maybe even as the season comes to a close. Yeah, and from what I've seen of her, she she does kind of remind me of uh, Keenan Davis in in the way that she plays. Uh, they're very similar in terms of their, their hold up play, um, and obviously they're, they're both very young. I think it's just a case of you know experience. Um, and becoming a bit more clinical in front of goal, but you, you know they're they're gonna get their teammates involved, and that's what it's all about as a as a uh, a big forward, as it were. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up that, that uh, Tanisha Smith reminds me of Keenan Davis, but I'm I'm kind of old world football fan in that aspect to where I I really enjoy that. I, I like the you know a you know a bigger bodied striker or center forward that can hold up the ball and, and let you know the other players around them move forward and make incision runs in with for a through ball or to just use their their strength to them. That's just something you know for me just personally. I, I just really enjoy watching footballers like that, and Tanisha Smith definitely has that in her locker. I, I can't wait to see what happens going forward with her. Okay, um, I think that's pretty much it for uh, the, the the main news from from Villa this uh, this past couple of weeks. Um, yesterday, uh, the people, well, not the people, the team that beat us in the uh, playoff final last season, Fulham, were relegated from the Premier League. Um, you know, is it a good thing that we uh, we didn't go up last season, or is it a case of um, you know it, maybe would we'd have done things differently? I don't know. For me, it's I, I I wouldn't say that Villa would have the same exact season that Fulham have had. 
man, they, they went up, spent, what, 100, 110 million, something like that, I think I read. That's a lot of money to be given away just to come back down. Um, I guess, you know, there's a, there's a selfish bias piece of me that, that's laughing at Fulham. Um, but the other, you know, more professional, more clearly side of my brain wants to say, it, you know, it's just not a good thing. Uh, you know, it's not a good thing for them coming up and going back down. I never really regarded them as a yo-yo club as far as getting promoted and relegated. But I don't know. I don't, I don't think that if Villa goes up, they, they're in as bad shape as Fulham were. I mean, did they get relegated on the same amount of points we had when we, had, when we were relegated? Yeah, so I don't, I don't think that this this Villa team, if if it was the same exact team right now in the championship and it was in Fulham's position, I don't think we only would have had that amount of points. I think we would have done at least a little bit better to maybe stave off relegation. But I don't know. It it, it depends who you ask about Fulham and what they might have did right, what they might have did wrong. But I mean, Joe Bryan looks like he has uh, two big fat eggs on his face right now, though. <laughs> I'm kind of glad that we didn't go for him, to be honest. Um, I think he's he's nothing more than a championship level player. Um, you know, he he had good performances last season, uh, namely against uh, Man United in the cup. But this season, he's he's not looked like the kind of player that uh, we were waiting to sign in the summer. No, and I watched uh, you know a good number of Fulham games. Uh, you for whatever reason they they would play either before or after Villa over here in the states. And um, just watching him and watching him play, he didn't look like a he didn't look like the Joe Bryan he did last year playing in the championship. And maybe it's just that it's too much for him. Maybe it's just a level above him. And you know that happens. You know you try to make a, a big time move to a you know a higher league, and then you're you're quickly found out. I think that's the case of Joe Bryan. And uh, maybe maybe him you know pulling the supposed U-turn you know was, was signing for Fulham instead of you know Aston Villa. And maybe that was a blessing in disguise. Maybe it was. And uh, keeping on the topic of Fulham, um, but moving slightly away from it, uh, the playoff final this this year, the EFL's confirmed that there's a there's no VAR. Um, yeah, I I I don't know. I don't I don't know why they're why not. I can't I can't find the answer anywhere. I've I've tried to find it. They don't give a really good reason. Well, I mean, there's two sides of the argument. There's obviously £180 million on the line for whoever wins in that final. But at the same time, I don't think you can use VAR in one match throughout the season. You know, if every single game in the championship had VAR, um, then fair enough, use it in the final. But I don't think you can just have it, especially for that, because either way, I feel like one team's going to get like done over. Yeah, and I, I don't even really have the opinion that I want it just in the final. I would like to have it in every playoff game, and that, that's just that's just my opinion. Um, you, you have to get it right. It's you know you can talk about the hundred eighty million dollar lottery ticket you get if you know if you actually win in the final, and you know that's that's known. Everybody everybody you know knows that, and that's what's at stake, and that's what what makes it one of the most entertaining spectacles in England. Is you know for teams trying to vie for a spot in the Premier League, I I just think that if they're go if if the FA is going to start to move towards wanting VAR to be an actual serious thing, they need to treat it like a serious thing and not treat it like, oh, we're just going to use it whenever it's convenient. And that's what it's starting to seem like. They're only really using it whenever it's convenient for them. I, 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 just my opinion, not saying that's actually the case, but I, I don't know. It's just a little heartbreaking to me with, with no, no VAR in, in the playoffs or even just the playoff final. I mean, one very, very major event that could not be seen or not be called the right way can cost your club. I mean, you could 
you never know. You could turn the leads and spend all these crazy months of years in the championship over one horrible decision. I, I, I just think the, the FA needs to be better than that. Yeah, I think I think it's it's just a case of you, you can't have it for one if you haven't had them for the rest. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I can I can understand it. I can agree with that to a point. I, I just think it's a it's. I mean, what would happen if VAR was in it last year and Grealish gets stamped on the on the touchline, you know, and they send him off? I mean, we could we could be talking about finishing thirteenth on the Premier League table right now. You never know. Yeah, I guess so. Um, something for Villa fans to keep an eye on is uh, in January we were linked with uh, probably the, the third or fourth Swansea City player that we were linked with during that window, but um, Mike Van der Horn. Um, we were linked with him in January, um, but mainly for a, a summer move because his contract were, uh, is out in, in the summer. Um, news from Swansea City is that he's, uh, his talks for a contract extension have broken down, so he will be leaving as a free agent in the summer. Um, so it's very likely that we'll see Mike van der Horn uh, at the club as a centre-back, which potentially spells an exit or lack of contract extension for uh, Tommy Elphick. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough to see Elphick go. Um, as far as Vanderhorn signing from uh, Swansea, I, I I think he'd play well. I haven't seen much of him. I've probably only seen him play about two or three games. Um, but I think it's one of those things where, you know, if, if he's not going to sign a contract uh, with, with Swansea and he's having an actual breakdown with an extension, I, I, I just you, – you might as well bring him in. I mean, we don't even know if we're going to have – you know, Tyrone Mings next year. I mean, that that's a big talking point as well. But, you know, we can't be losing, you know, two or three even center backs if, you know, we don't sign Courtney Hors on a, a permanent, which I'm sure we will. I heard the, the clause on that wasn't very high. So I can see Courtney coming back, you know. Um, yeah, with Vanderhorn, I, I don't see why not. He seems like the kind of player that, that Villa, you know, like to have in their back line. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a little bit mobile. He can he can ping a pass forward. So that seems like Dean what Dean Smith really wants from his center backs. Um, in regards to to Courtney Horse, I, I believe that it's an obligation by not an option. Um, I think I think once he'd played a certain amount of games, that it it turned from a option to an obligation. Um, but with with Van der Horn, he he is I guess he's not too similar to Mings, but he's he's slightly similar to Mings in the way that he plays. You know, he's a terroring defender. He's very good in the air. And he's he's decent at bringing the ball out from the back, and he can play you know a killer a killer ball every so often. Yeah, he definitely he definitely reminds me of Mings watching him play. I mean, I'll, I'll hold my hands up and say I had to actually YouTube some of the some of the things that he he's done, and that's that's probably a really bad barometer. Um, like I said, I've only seen him play I think two, maybe even three times that I that I've really remembered him from his name. Uh, he he does seem to have that kind of thing though, like. You know how Tyrone Mings will he'll have the ball at his feet, and then he look he almost it's almost like he dips his shoulder left and then just turns right suddenly and completely throws a, a striker or a, a wide man off of him. Uh, it seems like Vanderhorn does that really well too. It's these big, strong you know football players, but they have this very very adept uh, piece of agility or just you know a little bit a bit of trickery on the ball, and it's it's not a step over. It's nothing crazy. It's nothing you would find in a dribbling competition, but it's enough to create yourself a few seconds to get the ball upfield. And, you know, if, if that's what Dean Smith and company thinks that the Vanderhorn can bring, I don't see why not bringing him into the club. And I, I think that's good as well, because not only does it, it help within the game, but the fans love it as well. You know, every time that Mink does one of those technical turns or, you know, he, he, uh, he pulled off a roulette, uh, obviously he, he kind of ran into a Ran into a Blackburn player, but um, he pulled off a roulette in the Blackburn game, and you know the fans were loving it. 
Yeah, fans always love seeing stuff like that. I mean, you, especially in the Blackburn game, you had, you know, Ming's doing doing the roulette, and then uh, Tammy with that crazy footwork. I mean, fans just love seeing that. They like seeing that little bit of individual skill. It doesn't have to be crazy amount of Ronaldo stepovers or anything like that. It's just, you know, ha- have the, the mind you can tell you're fully locked in to be able to make one just subtle movement and to throw off your defender. And, you know, that's that's what it's about. And that's, you know, that's what Dean Smith has been saying here in a couple of his videos, just the small details, the fine details. And, you know, the small details add, add up to, you know, big moments. It's certainly proving a, a popular at Villa Park. Um, but something else that proved popular at Villa Park was uh, the appearances of Juan Pablo Angel and uh, Martin Larson. Uh, that was a really nice touch. Um, you know, they're, they're two club icons for a lot of people. Um, Juan Pablo, especially for me, uh, you know, I grew up, uh, started supporting Aston Villa mainly because of Juan Pablo Angel. He was one of my favourite players of all time. Uh, you know, by no means an absolute prolific goal scorer, but you know he's certainly a fan favorite, and that's the same with Larson. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was a really, really touch, of, a really nice touch of class from the club. Uh, you know, Aston Villa are really tight knit. They try to be as, as tight knit with their supporters as they possibly can. They got this one spot on. Um, if you look at it under the surface, just from two former players just walking on the pitch, uh, if you actually, like I said, look beneath the surface and see that, I'm not saying it's a PR stunt, but it's definitely a public relations ploy, meaning that, um, you know, the, the team's in a really, really good run of form right now. Uh, Villa Park's a much friendlier place to, to be at. Uh, there's not much in-house fighting going on. Everybody seems to be on the same page. Everyone seems to be really enjoying what's happening on the pitch. So bringing back two legends of the, of the club or two people that are you know favored highly of, just to walk on the field. They didn't have to do anything. They didn't have them out there doing anything crazy. Just walking the field, clapping the fans, you know, reaching out, saying hi. That's massive. That's really big. That, that It's one of those things to where whoever made that decision or whatever group of people within the club made that decision, it, it, that's exactly what Aston Villa need to get back to is just, you know, giving back to the supporters. And they, they didn't even have to give them anything except bringing two legends back, having them watch, walk the pitch. I just think that's a beautiful thing. And that's exactly what Aston Villa need, especially at the, we're, we're in a great run of form at, at, towards the end of the season. You know, why not make, you know, the crowd just a little bit more ruckus for the second half? I think it's a beautiful thing. I believe they were uh, guests of Ian Taylor's. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure to what level, you know, he was, completely involved in it you know he might have been told like you know we're, we're going to say that they were your guests but you know if, if it was all in Taylor's idea and you know he's just said to the club let's let's do something big for him then I'm all for it yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt that Ian Taylor's very very intelligent you, you can tell by the way he talks about the game and I, I think if if it was one of those things where you know he just happened to call up these two former you know Villa legends and say, hey, you know what? Why don't you come hang out? We'll watch a game and we'll see if we can get you a, you know, a, a miniature lap of honor around the pitch. And you know, I'm, I'm sure someone, you know, at Villa that has something to do with the, you know, personnel, it's like that's actually a really good idea. Yeah, we should do that as, as quickly as possible. So it, it, nothing negative was ever going to come out of it. If anything, it, it was just going to, you know, pretty much like egg the the fans on in, in Villa Park to get a little bit more route, a little bit more behind the team, you know. Because I mean, it's once you're Villa, you're Villa for life. It, it's not just a saying. It, like you know, you, you probably had. I'm sure you had people in those stands who were, you know were a different age at a different point in their life watching those two gentlemen, you know, apply their trade on a football pitch and to see them come back is probably just, you know, it's amazing. It's, that's what sport's all about. Yeah, definitely. And obviously there was uh, another Villa, I, I don't want to say legend, but maybe icon in Gareth Southgate in the stands as well. Obviously they were all sat, uh, sat together 
but you know it, it all adds up um and it kind of reminds me of uh our game against bristol city on new year's day last year uh, i can't remember the exact score but we we absolutely buried them um and that was because you know the the, the whole place was was thriving off the atmosphere uh, there was fireworks there was there was a bit of everything on that day and you know just things like that when you're in a good run of form can can absolutely make the world a difference yeah, it can. It's it's just it's just small little small little details, and I, I think Aston Villa is doing an amazing job over, over this season of trying to get back to that, and and not seeing so seeming so robotic as a football club. It seems like they're really trying to get into the at the heartbeat and pull at the heartstrings of the supporters. It, it's a beautiful thing to see. Uh, probably probably not a lot of people that listen to this probably won't be a fan of it, but it, it almost seems like they're Americanizing how they're doing things a little bit more, but I only mean that in terms of like their production quality of the videos they put on YouTube are a lot better. Um, they're doing 10, 10 to 12 minute interviews with Dean Smith, it seems almost on a weekly basis. Those are a lot of things that American sport clubs do to try and like make it seem like, you know, we're in your living room, we're on your phone. Like we wanna be a part of your day-to-day experience and we want you to know as much about this club as you possibly can. And I think that's what Aston Villa is doing. You could say that might be something that Wes Edens might've had a hand in, or maybe, you know, just a, just a different marketing scheme or, you know, something, something to do. But I, I just think it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I hope it really keeps up with just making the supporters feel like they're more oneness with the club. Yeah, I was going to mention it. It's probably got something to do with Wes Edens. I know uh, a lot of books fans uh, said, you know, he, his ownership or his uh, tenure at the helm certainly made uh, the club a more a more easy place to be, uh, a, you know, a, a better better side to support, I guess. Yeah, and he has that ability. The NBA is a massive league here in the States. Um, you know, it, it, everything from merchandising to... Uh, ticket sales to having fan appreciation nights to you know giveaways all kinds of stuff you know and you know I think that that's maybe some of those things wouldn't translate to to football in England but I think just the like I said just the oneness of making the supporter feel like they really are a part of something it's easy to say it you know it's, it's really easy to say something it's another thing to actually put the wheels in motion to do it and I, I, I would like to think that Wes Edens has some involvement on making sure that you know you're getting these legends back to the park and you're getting all these really behind the scenes kind of um, videos and, and different content that's that's making people feel even more connected with the club. I, I nothing nothing's bad is going to come out of it. I, I think that more people would appreciate it than anything, and it, it's it's easy for me to say because it's so common in the states, but it's it's nice to see that make the jump across the pond and especially affect a club such as Aston Villa. And I think that's probably the best place to end this episode. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode and uh, the topics of conversation, do let us know. Uh, give us a rating on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, and whatever other platform you're listening to. Um, our pin tweet on our Twitter page, uh, twitter.com forward slash Villalamp, will be uh, details on how to vote for us in the Football Blogging Awards. But no, thank you for listening and we'll see you again next week.